of this series over the summer called Move. And uh, starting next Sunday morning, there's be a few Sundays kind of where I'm just not here with some time away with family. Uh, and we have some wonderful people who um, we've asked to preach, and I can't wait to hear them. Um, AA is preaching next Sunday morning. He often kind of leads uh, a welcome in the Sunday morning. Greg Plett's going to be preaching a little later on through July. Uh, Joel Lindenberg, one of our elders, is going to be preaching. And I just know that, that God has already started kind of working through them as to how they're going to be blessing you as a body of people over the summer as they share what God's been laying on their lives and in their hearts. Um, but while, while we work our way through this, this series might feel a little kind of skip a Sunday here or there, uh, but that's just the nature of the summer. And uh, the whole theme that we've been working through is this conversation of move and how we can move from one place to another, move from one season or chapter to another in our lives. And last Sunday morning, we spoke very clearly around um, if God's calling me to move, and that could be a host of kind of definitions of what we mean by move. If God's calling you, um, no matter what that move is going to be, you can be certain that provision will follow you if God's calling you into it. Uh, there is a conversation coming a little bit later in this whole series around the importance of understanding the difference between God calling you and you wanting to move and trick yourself into thinking that this is God. That's a whole totally different conversation. Uh, but the importance of, is God calling? If so, provision will follow as he leads you into whatever chapter is coming before you. Um, and this morning we are talking about a particular heart posture that um, many of you are in in the moment, uh, and I suspect have been in your life at one point or another, or if not either of those two categories, uh, one day you will be in it. And I hope that this is just a beneficial morning for you in your own heart as the Lord speaks into it. But before we begin, would you bow your heads with me as we spend some time in prayer. Our gracious and heavenly Father, um, your voice is constantly um, beckoning us, calling us. And as your sons and daughters... Um, we have to learn the great discipline of picking your voice out of the myriad of voices that are clamoring for our attention. And as we are kind of working our way through this series called Move, um, there's all kinds of different layers and angles that we can find ourselves in and struggle through it uh, in one way or another if we have taken our eyes off of you through it all. And God, this morning we pray that this is just a really profitable time where your spirit is uh, at work in us, but more importantly, that we would respond and pay attention to your spirit at work in us as you call us and shape us to be the men and women that you've called us to be by your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Year, years ago, uh, Amy and I had moved to PEI. Uh, this is our 20th summer here, so it would be 20 years ago, literally. <coughs> Uh, Amy and I had been living here for several months, and we used to live just over on Lacardi Drive and behind uh, then Bonnie Bray, now Sam's. And I remember kind of driving off the bridge, uh, and I had made the statement, like, I, I just can't wait to be home. And Amy commented, and she said, for the first time in our married life, I had referenced that address as home not the greater Moncton area. Both of us kind of born and raised in the Moncton area where lots of great family, lots of close friends, 
a lot of our life and our highlights were in and around the Moncton area. That's where we were born. That's where we went to our first schools, university. That's where we met and married. Our parents lived there. Our, uh, my siblings lived there. Moncton always had this, this was home. And everywhere else we went, uh, it was kind of like we just kind of lived there. But then we went home on the weekends, so to speak, and home at Christmas time, and home for Thanksgiving. And this particular day, coming back to the island, I had made the comment, I can't wait to get home. And Amy recognizing that's the first time where I've ever kind of said that out loud, so to speak. It was an interesting moment for me, because for the first few years of our married life, uh, where we lived always felt... I don't know, like we're there for a short time, but not really going to put roots down kind of time. That kind of defined much of our early life in our married years. And that dynamic of thinking of somewhere else as home, if you're not careful, can grow into something rather quite sinister. Another way to say this is if you're constantly looking backwards at where you've come from, you're constantly longing for what you had, if you are constantly lamenting what you've lost, this dynamic, if left unchecked, can become something really gross inside of us, um, sinister in its worst ways, and can compel us to act in ways that are harmful to self, but also to our walk with the Lord and those who are closest to us. We see this kind of heart posture throughout the scriptures. We've been looking at kind of God's people as God has freed them from slavery in Egypt and is bringing them to the promised land. And what is fascinating is once they're set free and once they get through the novelty of that freedom and God begins to bring them from where they were into the land that he's taking them, um, we see this kind of posture begin to grow in the life of Israel. And in a very real and pointed way, it becomes something very sinister in their life, something dark and kind of malicious as they begin to live this out, as they begin to express this over and over, and it grew into some incredibly ugly, ugly moments in their life. So we're going to take a moment and have a bit of a look-see into the text of Scripture and see how Israel, as they began this journey, as they began to look out into what God was leading them into as he had called them into it, Um, As they begin to move in that particular direction, um, something gross begins to form inside of them. And we're not really sure where it started and how long it had been going on, um, but they began to struggle with the future um, because they longed for yesterday and where they were. And I don't know if you're anything like an, an Israelite, but how we remind ourselves of what we had generally speaking, isn't the truth, right? Like, when you think back to, like, when you were in high school, you know, those are the good old days. No, they weren't. <laughs> no, they weren't. And, and you tell stories to yourself, like, you should have seen me play football. And you were a legend in your mind, but you were actually on the bench, but no one really knows that, because you can recreate the narrative around your whole life, because they didn't know you. And there's this, like, what you tell yourself of what you were through time becomes facts in your heart. And this is the space that we see Israel get get to. And the first one on the screen, it's Numbers chapter 11, 18 through 20. It says this, If only we had meat to eat, 
We were better off in Egypt. Why did we ever leave Egypt? Stop here for a moment. This is like you looking back in high school. They were ruled by an incredibly oppressive regime under the hand of Pharaoh. Everything about their life was determined for them. When they got up, when they went to work, the kind of work they would do. Some of the texts of Scripture describe their work as it was laden with brick and hardship. Like everything that they did was awful for 400 years while in slavery in Egypt. And here you have them reflecting on their high school days. If only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Why did we ever leave it? Next one, this is Exodus 16. Um, if only we had died in, by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate food, all the food that we wanted. No, you didn't. No, no, no you didn't. You were beyond poor. You were at the whim of an incredibly evil empire. You did everything that was told to you, and if not, punished severely. And you're describing a world that's not even accurate for you and your people. Back in the day, we would have these pots of meat, which sounds gross, but pots of meat, and we would eat and eat and eat. No, that's not what happened with you. Exodus 17.3, the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst, as though somehow that's not a part of their narrative where they were. It gets worse and worse and worse for them, where you see this grumbling and complaining grow and grow and grow. And what happens is they, and this is a full-on picture of it, when you begin to lament of all that you've lost, it begins to grow inside of you and compels you to do things that are not overly God-honoring at all. And after kind of months, if you will, of this kind of complaint growing inside of them, it brings them to this brink, this moment, where they're about to remove and I suspect kill Moses and Aaron because they want to go back to where they came from. This is in Numbers 14. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, wouldn't it be better to, for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. I can't even begin to imagine the kind of things that they are telling themselves. That where God has brought them out of and where he's taking them is so unattractive to them that they would sooner go back into a land of slavery as if when they show up, they would be welcomed there like the prodigal son. If they actually did this and went back to the land of Egypt, I suspect it would be a mass massacre by the ones that used to rule over them and enslave them. They have told themselves things about what they have left that are factually not true. They do not trust God. They have this deep suspicion that provision is not going to come for them as they continue to move forward. This summer, working through this particular series called Move, we're trying to highlight as many moments of our lives as we can where we would transition from one chapter or one season or one place into another. And so often in the middle of those moves or on the backside of that move, we do grumble. And we do complain. 
we're frustrated deeply with where we now are. We've moved there, but we haven't really moved in to there, so to speak. I want to give you some examples. We've just come through prom season. It's been all in full display through social media. And it's fun for me uh, to watch parents live vicariously through their children. And I know that that day is coming for me as well. So right now I just get to be critical of you because mine aren't there yet. But it's just curious where it's like you hear the comments like, oh, man, I remember my prom. You know, I remember my whatever. I remember this. Like, those are the good old years. Those are, I'm like, what? Like, do you remember what this was like? You prayed that you would get through school and no one discovered the weird thing about you that you'd be made fun of entirely. Like, you, you, you're telling yourself things of high school that are not accurate, and yet as you're 40 and 45 and 50, you're like, I wish I could go back, I wish I could go back, and it kind of brings up all of this. For those of you that are graduating, you're like, this is the greatest chapter of our life, and it's exciting, and it's wonderful, and it is all those things, and then you're going to move into a new chapter that you think is amazing. And you'll be like, oh, bills. <laughs> what is this? Laundry. That you have to do your own. That your mom and dad will not quite be there at every beck and call. And all of a sudden you're like, I want to go back to Egypt. I want to go back to the slavery <laughs> that I knew. Because this world of freedom is filled with uncertainty. It's filled with worry. It's filled with all kinds of new things that I don't yet know. Married life. There are lots of people. If you're here, you miss being single. You grumble and complain about being married. That you don't have the freedom that you once had. And we have these phrases that these are not helpful. When you refer to your spouse as like ball and chain, that is not a Hallmark card. That is not a, that's not a term of endearment that's flattering for your spouse. That you refer to her as an old lady or the old man or whatever the case might be. All of it is this like, I kind of don't like the chapter that I'm in and I wish, I wish I could be what I was when I was 19, 20, 21. And you tell yourself lies of how attractive you were then. Listen, you weren't that attractive then. <laughs> And, and, and all the things that you thought you had, is, you, but we just long for it. When people move into retirement, some make that transition and they don't do anything at all. And they become deeply depressed because all of their life was defined by their work. They long for the day when their life had meaning and purpose. It's tough to be around that person. When parents watch their children grow and move out of home, any aspect of, like, controlling them gets worse because you want the ability to do that now. And so often that drives kids further and further away from them as we transition into that, that new chapter of life. You could pick a host of things, whether you move into a new city, a new country, a new part of the world, where we, we could become very much like Israel. I wish I could go back home where I knew people and those people knew me, where I knew the food and I was someone. If we're not careful, it leads to the same type of disobedience where we would make decisions that are opposite of what God's asking us to do and where he's calling us and where he's leading us. It could be connected to your new career or your physical health. Man, I remember the day when I had my knees and you could go on and on. 
so many areas of our life that when we move into or transi transition into, that it's nothing more than a constant, I wish I was back here. I wish this was my life. I wish these things are still a part of my life. And here's the big giant like heart sin issue that is a problem in this particular posture that's in Israel, that can be in us. It's on the screen. When we are looking back over our shoulder at what was, we struggle to see God's provision in the present and we question His leading in our life out into the future. When we're constantly looking back over our shoulder, we struggle to see God's provision in the present and we will question His leading in your life out into the future. When we look at Israel, we see this on display as they journey from Egypt over to the promised land. God had called them out very clearly. God had called them out and was leading them from this land to a new land. God had done much in their past and was promising much in their future. But they just wanted to go back. And they didn't see the manna as though that's God's provision and care over their life. It was almost kind of more annoying in some aspects. They didn't see the water and quail as God's provision and care in their life. And they certainly don't trust Him when they come to the River Jordan, when it's the moment to actually walk into the land that God had been talking about for some time. They're constantly looking back at what they had and what they lost ultimately cost them a lot. And in our lives, the same thing is true. When we are constantly looking back and lamenting and grumbling, over all that we've lost and all that we've left behind, if we are not careful, it can cost us an awful lot in our lives. Church family, we can become very quickly but very quietly a person that just longs for yesterday, longs for what we knew, covets what we had, nervous that somehow God is not in the details of your current situation and causing you to not trust Him as you move out into the future. In a weird way, you become the blockbuster story of your faith. Blockbuster, years ago, for those of you that are like, I don't know, under 20, <laughs> you actually had to get in your car and go to a store where you would walk through aisles for hours. Like, that was your Friday. To get the movie would be a huge win. But you'd go to a store, you'd walk aisles, and you'd look for a movie. And then you go home, and it was like 10 o'clock, and then you'd like watch it on Saturday. And this is where the dilemma began to unfold for Blockbuster. Blockbuster, one of their main revenue streams was a thing called late fees. Late fees is basically you didn't return the movie in on time. And we've all had that moment where, where you found the movie like months later, and you're like, burn it. And it, you know, <laughs> like... I didn't have that movie. Like, you didn't want to pay the thousands of dollars in late Well, this was a huge revenue stream for Blockbuster. The CEO of Blockbuster, when Netflix was first birthed, they had a chance to buy it for $50 million. The CEO says, um, the dot-com hysteria is completely overblown and will die down in a few months. <laughs> Blockbuster is now gone. And Netflix is worth now $150 billion. All because they did not want to move forward in what was, what was happening in the whole movie rental industry. They were content to look back and rest on late fees and a model that was growing old very, very fast. Church family, when God calls us forward, when His Spirit 
prompts us to move. When His Spirit says move and I'm going to go with you and I'm going to walk with you. As you transition from one chapter of life into a new one, one season, one place into a new one. He is going to be present. And we are called to be a people who move forward. Yes and amen to celebrating and thanking God to where we have come from. I love my family history. I love the village of Hillsborough. I love all the memories. that I love all of that stuff. I love where I met my wife. I love how and where we got engaged. I love Mapleton Park where we first took our first walk and I threw a snowball and hit a duck in the head. Like, I remember all these things. I remember all these things. But when we constantly are looking back over our shoulder, we're, we're creating a dynamic in us that's quite awful. We are a people who find ourselves in a narrative that's constantly moving forward, constantly looking out in what's coming. You go back into the Old Testament and you see this, this outward trajectory early in the text of Scripture. One of the earliest ones would be way back in Genesis 3, where something awful unfolds in God's good creation, and yet woven into the awful, there's a little line of a promise that something is going to happen out in time that will fix and restore. And then you work your way through the Old Testament and you see this begin to grow and grow and grow and grow. And then there's this moment where Isaiah says to God's people, this is in Isaiah 43. Forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And if we fast forward to Jesus, we see this person, this human being, God in the flesh, living his life, not with a regret for what's behind him, but with a keen purpose for what's in front of him. And I am deeply thankful for that. Imagine how the good news of Jesus Christ would sound if when Jesus leaves his Father's presence and comes to earth, is like, this place is the worst. You should have seen where I I did have pots of meat where I could eat all day. There isn't a lament around what he had left behind at all. He leaves his home on purpose, out of love for you and for me. And yet all the way through his earthly ministry, there's this line where he talks about, the hour has not yet come for me to be revealed. Don't tell people who I really am yet. There is an hour coming. Pointing out to something that's going to unfold, that's remarkable. And then, in this final kind of moment, this Last Supper meal, he tells his followers, I'm going to go away to prepare a place for you. But don't worry. I'm going to go away and I'm going to come back. I'm going to bring you to that place. This looking out into the future. And he takes the very elements that we're going to celebrate here in a few moments, the, the bread and the cup. And he goes back in time and then he redefines those same elements for something that's going to unfold in the next 24 hours, which is the foundation for what's going to unfold to the whole world much later on down his life. We know the story. Jesus has the meal. He eats the bread. He drinks the cup. He explains to them how it's through this coming reality of his death on a cross where sin is going to be dealt with, where we can experience forgiveness and life. We know the story where he is betrayed by a close friend and he is killed on a Roman cross on Good Friday. He goes into a tomb later that same day. 
all hope is thought to be lost and Sunday rolls around and Jesus gets up from the grave. It's in that last meal that he has with the disciples where he talks about, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until the kingdom of heaven comes. Again, pointing us out to something significant. And then he has meals with his disciples post-resurrection. We are framed through a doctrine. We are framed through a theology that the best things for God's good world are always out in front of us. And yet, ironically, as a people, we have a tendency to lament and grumble and complain because we have believed the lie that the best things are behind you. That your best days, that all that you could possibly experience in God's life was somehow behind you. I'm thankful for people like Paul, who in Hebrews say this. I want to read this to you. It's not on the screen. This is in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And imagine if that line said, um, and let's grumble and complain about the things we've lost. That's not what it reads at all. It says, let us run the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And here's the line. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was set before him, believing completely that all the provision that he needed was going to come from his heavenly father by the spirit, all that he needed to go to cross, to be raised from the dead, new heavens, new earth, all of that stuff set before him and willingly walks into an understanding that God is doing something significant in his world. I'm going to invite Dana and team back. They're going to lead us here on a song in a moment. I love the language around the Last Supper. I love how Jesus reaches back and takes very real things of their past and redefines it for their future. I love that. I love how he even references that we're going to have a meal together out into the future because the work that I'm doing is not yet totally complete. I love the fact that they have a meal when he gets up from the grave. I love all of the things from a faith framework that is grounded and rooted in Jesus Christ that points us out into the future, that points us out into something significant that God continues to do in his world. Paul picks this theme up in his own life and he speaks to it very clearly in his own life in the footsteps of his Savior. He says, not that I have obtained already all this or have arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, I forget what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward in. Church family, wherever God has brought you, wherever he has led you, please, 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 please do not fall prey to the very quiet assassin of your heart where all we do is just lament all that we've lost. All that we've lost. I don't have an identity here. 
I don't know this place. I don't know its culture. I don't know its people. I left a spot where I was known and loved and valued and all those things. Praise God for all of that. But where you are is where God has you. Provision, care, through the middle of it. But more than that, something great for you out in front. And I'm not talking like prosperity great. I mean God's plan and purpose in your life. I mean a a space of flourishing where you would grow to become more and more and more like Him each and every day that you live. That you would walk boldly into whatever He has called you into because this is the same narrative over Jesus' own life. He's come into the world to do something. The cross set before Him runs that race perfectly. And in doing so, provides us a salvation that is amazing. Where I am free of sin, I am free of shame, I am forgiven. With now a new heaven and new earth set before me. Amen for all that's behind, but I cannot wait for what's out in front. Even as I transition from living to death. All things new again. All things new again. I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward this morning and they're going to pass out the elements. And while they do, Dana is going to lead us in a song. And I'm going to come back and read a couple of scriptures that speak into this great celebration of the Lord's table. Because yes, it grounds us here. It points us backwards to the very story that we keep referencing of God bringing his people out of Egypt. But more than all of that, it points us out into something that he's doing in front of us. Would you pray with me? Our gracious and heavenly Father, I love the fact that we find ourselves in a narrative of a garden that was very simple and very basic. And it ends in a city that's bustling, that's all things new again, where you are present with your people, They worship you. I love the fact that we live in a story that is constantly looking out into this incredible world that you have made, how you are at work redeeming, restoring, bringing things that are dead back to life, all with this incredible reality of the promise of what you have done in your son's physical body into death, into life, and made new again will come for the whole of the cosmos. All things new again. In your name we pray. Amen.